I'm sharing on the subject of abundant life, God's life. And our main text is John chapter 10, verse 10. And it says that the thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. God's will is that you and I not only have life, but that we have it in an abundance. This abundant life, this quality of life, this kind of life comes only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in Him. But once you exercise faith in Jesus, once you invite Him into your heart and life, then you receive His very life, the God kind of life. And God wills that you have that life in abundance. In other words, that you and I not only begin to receive by faith of this life, but we have so much of it, we give it away. We are blessed and become a blessing. We receive that we might share and give to others. And so we're talking about this life and how to walk in this abundant kind of life. And so that's led us to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 that says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Notice we have to fight the good fight of faith. We have to lay hold on to eternal life. You have eternal life if you have Jesus. You have God's best. You have His good, good pleasure, His favor, and all these things in Jesus. But you, by faith now, have to lay hold on to it. You have to possess it. You have to seize it. You have to take it. You have to fight not to get it, but fight to maintain it. Because everything in this world, dear ones, fights against this new life that's on the inside of you. So if you don't learn how to fight, if you don't become a fighter, if you don't learn how to war, a good warfare, then you're going to miss out in this life of all the wonderful things that Jesus bought and paid for you and wills for you to have. So many people live their entire Christian life and, and never learn how to possess, how to lay hold onto this, this new life, this Glorious life, this, this life that is, is just full of joy, unspeakable, and glory. And yet again, many people, their experience is not joy, unspeakable, and full of, of glory. And God wills that this be joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Well, it's not going to be automatic. You're going to have to fight. And that's what I've been teaching you is fighting and what the fight is, how vicious the fight is, how violent the fight is, and mainly... That it's not a natural fight. It is not a natural fight. I've endeavored, even in passing, to share with you the only time we fight physically is when our survival is at risk. When our life is threatened, it is biblical to defend that life. When your family's life is being threatened, it's biblical to defend your family's life. So other than defending our natural life, we are not in a natural battle. We're not at natural war with people. We're not to be fighting with physical, conventional weapons or natural wars. Yet, so many people get caught up in the natural and warring against natural things instead of realizing this is a spiritual fight, listen, and an emotional fight. This fight is very real. It is very real. This war is very real, but it is a spiritual war and must be fought spiritually and an emotional war. There are enemies of your soul that want to harass you to get you to give up on God, to get you to doubt God, to get you to quit on God, quit on each other, and quit on God's will in the earth. And that's why these forces are arrayed against you. The devil has already lost you and I. And God has won, you and I, and heaven is forever settled if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. But in this life, we need to take as many people with us and reflect this kind of life as possible. And that's what Satan hates. He doesn't want your light to shine. He wants to put it out. He don't want you to be salty and affect other people. He wants you to be religious and get behind four walls and have a little bless me club, sing a little lacuna matata like we saw last week, or maybe we'll get real spiritual and sing kumbaya, smoke a little dope, and say, peace, peace. <laughs> Let's all just stay at peace. That's not the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11... That the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by 
force. You can't be passive. You can't be disengaged in life and see this abundant life flow. You've got to get engaged, dear ones. You've got to get strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and fight a good fight. So, we're looking at warfare. We're looking now at the Old Testament warfare and we're pulling that over into spiritual things. Spiritual warfare. I pray that you're listening better than the last time I shared down this line a decade ago and even threw the tapes away. I'm not a violent man. I'm not, I'm not condoning violence and your children engaging in violence or violent activity or violent expressions of our culture in their hearts and lives. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that we have to become fighters. We have to be bold. We have to be courageous. You cannot serve God in this culture. You cannot serve God and do great and mighty things without unbelievable opposition that's going to come against you. And if you don't know how to engage, you'll be steamrolled over and defeated. And God doesn't will that for you. But you're going to have to fight for your marriages or you're going to lose them. You're going to have to fight for your children or you're going to lose them. You're going to have to fight. And the right kind of fight for our country, or we're going to lose our country. And on and on I could go, but I won't say all that's on my mind, because I love life, and I want to live. <laughs> so we'll just, we'll just go as far as you'll let me, and engage together. And as the river is flowing, I'm going to let her rip. But when the dam comes up, woe unto me if I press too hard today, okay? Let's talk about this warfare. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 says... Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Now I've never figured out how a man could be the son of Nun and be here, but you'll never forget Joshua, the son of Nun. Amen? Joshua, the son of Nun. Some of you are thinking, I don't know if I want to hear what this guy says now. We need to learn to laugh. Amen? I've been with preachers all week. I just want to laugh. I just want to enjoy life. I'm not trying to pick a fight, and I don't want to be mean like they are. Now, verse 2, Joshua chapter 1, verse 2 says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon... That have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. Now let's stop right there. He said, I've given you the land and I'm saying this to you, but I said it to Moses and I gave it to Moses and those people under his, under his uh, administration. But Moses and the previous generation did not possess the land. They had the land. God gave them the land. But they didn't possess it. They didn't lay hold. They didn't seize it. They didn't take it. By faith. Now God is saying, Joshua, I'm, I'm making the same promise to you that I made to Moses. It's yours. But you're going to have to move. You're going to have to walk. You're going to have to engage. Everywhere your foot stands, that's your land that I've given you. We have to realize, dear ones, God's given us this life. It's in His kingdom. Our land is the kingdom of God that is among us. It's in us. It's with us. And it is a land that flows with milk and honey, but you have to possess it by faith. You have to move. You have to do something by faith. Why didn't Moses take it? Why didn't the children of Israel under Moses' administration enter their promised land that flowed with milk and honey? Numbers chapter 13 tells you why they didn't enter in. And Hebrews chapter 3 verse 19 tells you why they didn't in, enter in. And Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 tells you why they did not enter in. God gave them the land. God said, do what I tell you to do. It's yours. Go. They saw giants in the land. They saw opposition in the land and were afraid. The Bible says they did not enter in because of unbelief. They did not mix faith with the word of God. So they perished. They were God's children. The Bible even called them the church in the wilderness. Did you know Israel is called in the Bible the church in the wilderness? They belonged to God. They were God's children. He gave them a land that flows with milk and honey, but they didn't enter in. The Bible says because of unbelief. 
It doesn't say they didn't enter in because of their SAT scores. Can I get a witness? Thank you, Jesus. It doesn't take a high IQ to get in the land. It didn't say they didn't enter in because they was poor and born into poverty. How many of you know that the poor can receive of the good word of God and be poor no more? You can come out of poverty through faith in Christ. The message is to the poor. And it's called good news. So there must be something about getting out of poverty if it's good news, not condoning poverty and things of that nature. God wills and has given us a land that flows with milk and honey, but there are giants in the land. There's opposition. It's not automatic. You're going to have to trust God. And why don't people trust God? Why do they not mix faith with the Word of God? Again, the Bible says unbelief is the enemy, but that's not enough at church just to say unbelief. Because everybody sits there and goes, that's right, brother. It's unbelief. And then if I ask, how many of you want a land that flows with milk and honey? 90% of you are going to raise your hand. The other 10% are just still Baptists. They'll get over it. <laughs> they want the land that flows with milk and honey. They might not have the courage to raise their hand, but they want it or they wouldn't be here. Why aren't we, why aren't we possessing it? Why aren't we taking it? It's not just unbelief and you leave it there. What's the source of the unbelief? We're afraid. There's a cost. It's not works like legalism, but if you trust God, dear ones, it's going to cost you. You're going to get attacked. You're going to have to deal with some enemies of your soul, some enemies of your heart. And most Christians don't want to fight. They want to be Oprahized. I'm glad you understand that now. I had to explain that this week. I was so fired up from being here and then I went out there and forgot they don't know what the Oprah spirit is. I had to explain the Oprah spirit to a bunch of preachers this week. And how the whole culture has been feminized. How the whole culture has been Oprahized. And Dr. Phil, nobody wants confrontation. Nobody wants to be misunderstood or misjudged. We want to prove to everybody we're good people. We want to prove to everybody, we understand. We feel your pain. And if we just cry together, we're good people. How many of you know, crying in our beer isn't going to fix our lives? We're going to have to fight. We're going to have to get courageous. We're going to have to believe God, trust God. And in faith is a spirit of boldness. In faith is a spirit of courage. In faith is a, is a spirit of confidence. And the culture is intimidated by that. And the devil ruling the culture now. Because if we get confident, if we get bold, if we get courageous, righteousness will reign. But if we stay timid and intimidated and afraid and confused, then evil will reign in the land and we'll lose the land. We'll lose the land. That's all right. That's too weak. Thank you. I don't want you to stand out in a crowd. The four or five of you can sit back down. Don't think that qualifies as a standing ovation yet. We need to get bold. And why aren't we more bold? Because we're afraid. That's a form of unbelief. Notice what God told Joshua. If you're going to possess your land, if you're going to seize the land... If you're going to take what I gave you, look at his instructions. He defines the borders of the land in verse 4. Verse 5, he says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. Everybody say strong. strong. And of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. If you're going to prosper, you're going to have to do what I tell you to do, says God. And notice if you're not strong and courageous, you won't do what I told you to do. People go to church their whole life. And you wouldn't keep coming back if you didn't want to do what God tells you to do. Amen? But why do so few do it? Why do so many people come to even a good church like ours, say yes and amen, walk right out the door, and not do what God said do? Because they're afraid. That's why. 
The bottom line is they're fearful. They're not strong and courageous. They want to do what God said. They believe what God said. They purpose to do what God says. But if I obey God, I'm going to get attacked. If I obey God and do what is right, I'm going to be mocked. If I obey God and do what's right, I'm going to be falsely accused. I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to have people coming against me. And I don't want no trouble. So what am I going to do? I'm going to disobey God and just flow with the crowd. So that I don't have any opposition. No problems. See, one of the problems we have in the church is we want to get comfortable. We don't want no problems. I just don't want no problems. Then die. Just die. Because you won't have no more problems after that. Neither will I. Some of you die. (laughs) Oh, come on. Let it go. That was good. (laughs) None of us want problems. But if you think you're going to stand up for God and not have problems, you're deceived. If you think you're going to defend what's right and just and pure and holy and think you're not going to create a stir, you're deceived. And that's what we don't want. We lose our courage. We're not very strong. We're not very courageous. And so we're disobeying God, forfeiting our land. And then there's a few of us that God moves upon that says, wait a minute, enough is enough. What's right is right. I'm going to say what's right and I'm going to do what's right. Boom, giants pop up in the land. Opposition. In Acts, somewhere it's written in the Bible. (laughs) I'm almost certain. It's Acts chapter 14, about verse 22. Paul says, with much tribulation shall we enter the kingdom of God. Notice in John chapter 3, if you'll read the scriptures, when you get born again, all you do is see the kingdom. You can't see God's kingdom. You can't see the land until you get born again. When you get born again, that's just preparation now to enter that kingdom. The rule and reign of God. The will of God. Nobody obeys God easily. Nobody gets into the land easily. Nobody gets in the land independent of faith and the spirit of faith. And so now with much tribulation shall you enter the kingdom of heaven. Every time you try to go forward in God, boom, enemies. Every time you try to do what's right, live what's right, say what's right, boom, giants pop up in the land. And if you're not willing to fight the right kind of fight, you'll back down, you'll back out, and you'll back off and be destroyed. And be destroyed. That's what I'm saying. That's what God was saying. He said, you better be strong and courageous or you won't do what I tell you to do. Verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written thereof. For then, look at this, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. How many people blame God for the lack of success? Blame God for the lack of prosperity in their lives? God says, if you'll do what I tell you to do, be strong and courageous. Don't back up. Don't back down. Don't be intimidated. Stand on my word. Obey me. Fear me, not man. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. It's not talking about me without God. It's not talking about me in the flesh. And by my own strength, might, and power. But when I obey God by faith, then I'm going to show you through the next passage, God begins to fight my fights. He defeats the enemies of my heart. The enemies of my soul. Enemies like depression. You better not play with depression. It's very real. Sometimes it can be chemically induced. Sometimes it can be a problem in your body that can contribute to depression. But most of the depression in the church is from the fight. The warfare, you just get depressed. This last conference I did, I don't like statistics. I don't like to bring you statistics. One of the policies I made years ago is not to read to you too much information. It bores people. But one of the things I discovered in this last meeting, I've heard it before, but it's been documented that 70% of pastors never finish the race. 70%, 7 out of 10 preachers that start pastoring quit in 5 to 10 years. 70%. Then there's another percentage that go into something else, but 
still serve, it came down to 10 and a little less than 10% finished their course. Do you know how rare it is for a preacher to be in one town for 20 years? Do you know how uncommon that is? How rare that is? Why? Because they weren't called? Why? Because they didn't have an anointing? Why? Because they sinned and disobeyed God? No, I can tell you why. The warfare is real, it's vicious, it's violent, and it's an emotional warfare and a spiritual warfare. And we have to fight discouragement. We have to fight what our eyes are telling us, what our ears are telling us. We have to fight the good fight of faith. We have to fight to believe, God, that these people love us. (laughs) Sometimes it don't feel like it. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. We have to fight to believe that they really want to hear what we got to say. We have to fight. And if we don't know how to fight, we become needless casualties in the warfare as well. We have to be strong and very courageous or we won't do what God told us to do. Because every time we say what God is saying, boom, all of Hades breaks loose. Every time we try to do what God tells us to do, boom, all of Hades breaks loose. Everybody still out there? It's the same way for you, same way for me. Look at the end of the chapter because he says it again in verse 18. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment. Everybody say commandment. And will not hearken unto thy words in all that thou commandest him. He shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Four times he said you better be strong and courageous. You better be strong and courageous. Then he says, whoever does not keep or do the commandment of God. Not the suggestions of God. Not the, I highly recommend. God didn't say to Joshua, I highly recommend that you be strong and courageous. He commanded him. Why, why was God so insensitive? Why was God so uncaring and unwavering and dogmatic? Bless his darling heart. He needs to stay at home, watch daytime TV, and soften up a little bit. I dare God Almighty to command a man. Look at a man and say, I command you to be strong and courageous. God knew if Joshua didn't remain strong and courageous, he too and his generation would not enter the promised land. I command you. Brother, are you saying if people come to church and do not do what God says, we ought to kill them? Well, wait a minute, I'm thinking about it. Give me a chance to debate. (laughs) Of course not. But let me say it to you this way. That's the natural that unveils the spiritual. That's the type and shadows of things to come. And not the very image of those things. I can say it to you this way. If you don't obey God, dear ones, if you don't become strong and courageous, there's going to be a lot of good things that God wills for you that are going to die Our churches will die. Our marriages will die. Our children will experience death. If we disobey God and we rebel against how He told us to raise kids, we'll experience a death of a generation. If we don't treat our wives right, if you don't treat your husbands right, if we don't obey God and follow His Word, if we keep listening to all this psychobabble in our culture today, our marriages will continue to die. The institution of marriage will die, and then the culture will absolutely collapse. Because the nuclear family is the backbone of our country and of our world. And Satan knows what he's doing by attacking the home, by attacking our children, by attacking our morals, by attacking our thought processes, by wearing us out, wearing us down. So we'll just back up, back out, and just say, well, nothing really matters anyway. At least we're going to heaven. That's not me. I'm going to heaven, and things do matter. I'm going to fight for your marriages, fight for your kids, fight for our country. Fight the good fight of faith. That we might leave something if the Lord tarries again besides a mess. You will not fight, dear ones, if you don't get strong and very courageous. Now... I had a dyslexic moment last week in my passion. So let's go to Joshua 10. Let me clear something up. I talked about four or five kings. It's five kings that Joshua was fighting against. 
And I shared something out of my passion and had one of those dyslexic moments. You've got to realize one of the reasons I try to calm down and slow down is when I get excited, I know my brain can just disengage. And I have, a, I have a dyslexic problem. I can switch things completely backwards. And so I need to clarify something I said last week and, and share that with you and read it to you and show you. But Joshua and the book of Joshua is a book of natural warfare that helps equip us on spiritual warfare because under Joshua's leadership, they won most of their battles. The book of Joshua shows us how to fight and win. Israel fought a lot of fights and lost. And we can learn from that on how to lose. But most of us are experts at losing. There are churches all over the country you can go to to learn how to lose. I want to teach you how to win. I want to teach you how to overcome. I want to teach you how to endure. How to be that overcomer. How to be that more than a conqueror. And so I need, I need the battle strategies of the book of Joshua and bringing them over spiritually so I can fight a good fight. Because this isn't emotional. It isn't personality. It's not just screaming at the devil. It's not having a Pentecostal moment. This is something that is very real in all of our lives. Fighting a good fight. And so the book of Joshua paints the picture naturally of something spiritual or something we can't see with our eyes because the fight today again is violent, it's vicious, it's just spiritual, not natural. All right, in this battle, Joshua is fighting against five kings and this is the chapter, Joshua chapter 10, where the sun was going down and Joshua hadn't wiped the enemy out yet, so he asked God to stop the sun from setting. And the Bible says there's not been a day like it nor since where God hearkened to the voice of a man and he stopped the sun from going down so Joshua could kill the enemy. Not so they could have counseling and care groups and cry together. Kill them. And God got so excited about killing the enemy, he started throwing rocks down from heaven, killing more of them than Joshua could kill. I'm telling you, we've got, we've got a church today so deceived, the picture of God is not painted accurately in pop Christian culture today. The Bible says, and I'll get to it next week, I'm going to have to spend a couple more weeks on this, and, unless you bow up this week, but the Bible says that God is a warrior. He's a warrior. Jesus is not coming back the second time as a daytime talk show host. He's coming back on a horse. He's coming back with a sword. He's coming back to slay the nations. We better wake up. We better get right. And so, God's so excited about whipping up on the enemy, He starts throwing rocks down from heaven. I just love that. And so, the five kings fled... And got up in a cave. And Joshua discovered him in the cave. And he put a rock over the mouth of the cave. Went back and defeated their kingdoms and their armies. Then he came back to deal with the five kings. Let's see what the scriptures say about him dealing with the five kings. Look at verse 24. Joshua 10, 24. And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua. That Joshua called for all the captains of the men of war. Which went with him, come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near, put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, fear not. Everybody say, fear not. Fear not. Nor be dismayed. All right, let's try that again. You're going to preach with me until I tell you not to. <laughs> All right, everybody ready? We're going, we're, going, we're going to preach together here. Number one, he says, fear not. Nor be, nor be dismayed. Be strong, be strong and of good courage. For thus shall the Lord do, the Lord do to, all to all your enemies against whom you fight. fight. Uh-oh, did you catch it? Some of you caught it. See, we want God to defeat all our enemies while we sit on the seat to do nothing and flip the channels. That's about all the fighting some of you do. No, he says, he says, look, you put your feet on their neck and so shall the Lord do to your enemies whom you 
So see, it's not God without us. It's not us without God. It's Christ in us. The hope of all glory. You got to quit sitting around complaining about why God isn't dealing with the enemies of your soul. And you got to quit dealing with them without God. It's so simple but very complex in its application. That's why I thank God I've got a lifetime with anybody that will commit to me for a lifetime. I'm going to teach you to fight for a lifetime. I'm going to teach you how to work with God. How to quit working without God and being in the flesh and becoming religious. Or how to quit from jumping over into the other ditch and just thinking God is doing everything while you just passively sit back. No, it's God and us working together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul calls it co-laborers together with the Lord. It's not the Lord without us. It's not us without the Lord. When we step forward by faith, when we are willing to put our foot on the enemy's neck, look at what Joshua did as a type. He said in verse 26, And afterward Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging upon the trees until evening. (gasps) How vicious. How cruel. How insensitive. Dude, you put your foot on their neck. Boom. So shall the Lord do to your enemies. You're going to have to step up to the plate, dear ones. You're going to have to be strong and courageous. The Lord's going to give you courage. The Lord's going to admonish you. The Lord's going to inspire you. The Lord's going to say, come on, come on, come on. Step up to the plate. Stand up for what's right. Do what's right. Put your foot on the enemy of your soul. And God then will slay that enemy for you. But you have to fight. You can't wait around for God to do it. You've got to quit trying to do it without God. It's God and man working together. God and man. God in grace. Us by faith responding. Once we respond, the power of God is released to defeat the enemies of your soul. Don't play with depression. I would become one of those casualties if I entertained depression. Discouragement. No, when I feel it coming, when I see it coming... I better fight. I better stand up and go, whoa, we're not going there. The people love me. God loves me. Once I stand on faith, once I acknowledge I'm not going there, thank you, Father, begin to yield to the Father. I got my foot on the enemy of depression. God will slay it in my life. And I could go on and go on and go on, get the principle. You're going to have to fight for the good things that Jesus bought and paid for in your life. Now let me give you some areas of courage in closing. Areas of courage in closing that are real. And you better fight. And you better and you better come back now where I can teach you how to develop in courage, how to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and things of that nature because if you don't develop these areas of courage You will be steamrolled over by life. The first one is moral courage. Moral courage. It doesn't take courage today to stand up and say, I'm gay. It doesn't take courage to stand up today and say, I'm a lesbian. No, it takes great courage. And you've got to be strong and very courageous to defend sexual purity in the the culture. That's what takes courage. I was driving back from... From the airport coming back from Kentucky. And I was channel surfing on the radio. That can be dangerous. But I needed something. I needed to to hear something. I just needed to stay awake. I was getting sleepy. And praying doesn't help me stay awake. That's how I go to sleep. So it's not good for me to pray when I'm tired driving down the road. So I'm channel surfing, and boom, I hear these people talking, and it sounded interesting. And it was a young girl, a teenage girl, calling into some stupid talk show, dealing with her sexuality and asking for advice and saying, I'm a lesbian, I have a girlfriend, we've bonded, and I've really gotten really close to her, and we're so intimate and bound, and because of my age, I need some advice. Should I break away from that and experience? 
experience other things with other people? Or is it healthy to go ahead and bond at my age with this other woman? And the two people just politely on the radio started talking about, well, it might not be healthy and you ought to experiment with other things and other people and you are kind of young. And, and they were just unashamed. They weren't embarrassed. It took no courage. i tell you what would have took courage is for me to call in and go, hey... That's an abomination, and you're going to destroy your body, you're going to destroy your mind, and you'll destroy a culture through sexual perversion. Oh, my God. Cars would have been crashing. There would have been a national crisis. And like buzzards on dead meat, the national media and academia around me would descend upon me to pick my flesh. Doesn't take courage to go off to high school. And say, I've slept with six to sixty people? That doesn't take courage. It takes courage to be in high school and say, I am a virgin and plan on being a virgin and staying a virgin till I get married. That takes courage. And why don't our children do that? They're scared. I'm sorry. I'm screaming. I'm spitting. I'm slinging snot like a Brahma bull. I need to calm down. It takes no courage at all to sin. It takes great courage. And you've got to be strong. And you've got to be bold. And you've got to fight the good fight of faith to say, stay sexually pure. It doesn't take courage to take drugs. It doesn't take courage to smoke marijuana. It doesn't take Courage to snort like a stupid animal, wipe stuff up your nose that's killing your brain cells. That doesn't take courage. It doesn't take courage to stick a needle in your arm. It takes great courage to discipline your flesh and the appetites of your flesh and say no to any foreign substance that would destroy my brain cells, destroy my body, destroy my marriages that I haven't, that I haven't entered into and my children unyet born. That takes great courage. So why aren't more people staying free from drugs and alcohol and sexual perversion? They want to. They know God says to. Why don't they do it? They're afraid. Their unbelief works its way out in fear and being intimidated. It used to be embarrassing and a shame to stand up and say, I've slept with an animal. We'll hear the day that people will boast about sleeping with animals. It should be embarrassing. And you should be ashamed of yourself. The Bible says that these are the things that we once did that now we are ashamed of. Boys, can you picture me on Oprah saying that? There's some things you should feel guilty about. You should be ashamed of. I can't even get a good amen in church. Takes courage. Moral courage to say the right thing and to do the right thing. Number two, relational courage. Relational courage. It takes courage to work on your marriage. It doesn't take any courage to get a divorce. It takes courage to work it out. It takes courage to go get help. It takes courage to say, I'm sorry. It takes courage to say, I was wrong. (laughs) one of the reasons I will work on my marriage I will work anything out is I fear with great fear sitting across someone's desk and Sue telling them something and they telling me to what for I'd rather go naked through boot camp than to sit in front of somebody to tell me what she just said So I'm going to listen up. Uh Uh-oh, y'all better be listening up. It takes courage not only to stay sexually pure before you enter marriage. Listen, dear ones, it takes courage to stay sexually pure in marriage. We got affairs going on, and it's not just in the world. We got good, loving, caring people having affairs that go to church. How does that happen? Why does that happen? A lack of relational courage. We don't have the courage 
to talk things out. We don't have the courage to guard and protect. We don't have the courage to go the extra mile that it takes. Guys, listen to me. None of your wives are just going to have an affair overnight. They're going to have an affair with your friend. Okay. Let's back up. I see a mushroom cloud. I guess I dropped the nuke. Guys can sleep with people they don't know. You'll never see a male prostitute on the street and women pulling over to the curb and them talking and getting in the car. You see women on the street, guys pulling over and a girl getting in the car. Women have affairs emotionally before physically. They got to know you. And so I better be relational and have relational courage, there ain't no guy in this body going to talk to my wife more than me. And there ain't going to be no guy that understands her more than I understand her. And it takes courage. It takes courage to go the extra mile. It takes courage to turn the ball game. Well, we don't go there. Some of us got to get filled with the Holy Ghost and go for counseling, turn the ball game off and talk. <laughs> okay. It takes courage to raise your children in this culture. It takes courage to say no. Five yeses, one amen. You think it doesn't take courage to tell your children, I love you, but no. But everybody's doing it. No, they ain't because you ain't. <laughs> okay see how afraid people well what will people think if, if I don't let my kids go what will, who cares what people think you're afraid you're intimidated you gotta be courageous you gotta be willing to be rejected you gotta be willing to be mocked you gotta be willing to be misjudged and it hurts and it hurts to tell them no you wanna tell them yeah but no is the right answer. Number three, vocational courage. It doesn't take courage to cook the books. It takes courage to say no to cooking the books. It doesn't take courage to pay taxes. It takes stupidity <laughs> to keep paying them at the rate we're paying them. But it takes courage to keep the law and to obey the law. It doesn't take courage to break the law. It takes courage to keep the law. How much time do I have? Praise God, I'm almost out of time. Number four, political courage. Political courage. It takes courage to say the right thing politically. It takes courage to do the right thing politically. And I'm telling you, we don't have it in our culture anymore. We've lost and we'll lose our country because we're losing politically. Well, there he goes again. He's just, he thinks politics is going to save the world. God forbid Politics is not going to save the world, but if we don't save politics, politics is going to destroy our world. It takes courage to go and represent the people and say the right thing and do the right thing. And the Democrats lost it years ago. The Republicans are losing it. We got nothing but cowards up there. We got nothing but bought, corrupt, immoral, not principle-driven people that are selling us out. We're not a democracy. Get an education. I don't have much, but I know we're not a democracy. We are, are a representative republic. We elect people to represent us. So we better elect people that represent us. Because if we don't elect people to represent us, the world will, re will elect people to represent them and evil will rule and reign. The blessing on America is not by accident. And the corruption in other countries is the result of corrupt government. And we can lose ours. What do you, what do I not understand about illegal immigration? Everybody say illegal. illegal. We're not talking about immigration. 
The three branches of government have twisted and perverted everything. ABC, NBC, and CBS. They can't even get it right. They say immigration. It's illegal immigration that is a problem. What do you not understand about illegal? And how can you who are illegal ask for civil rights? Look at where the civil rights movement's gone. You're asking for legal civil rights and you're an illegal immigrant. What is wrong with our thinking? Our country is being taken over. You don't have a country if you don't have borders, language, and culture. Nobody's against immigration. We want you to come to America. And we want you to come legally. And we want you to learn the language. We have one language. And if you want to be an American, you learn our language. And we have a culture. You can't come to our country, wave your flag, sing your national anthem, and be an American. You go back, if you love your country that much, we're all for you. We need to deport you, send you back, since you love your country so much. But ours has borders, a language, and a culture. And you'd think everybody would go, that's the smartest man on the planet. But oh no! Oh no! I'm going to do a commercial soon, and I'm going to try to figure out how to do the Matrix thing where I'm having to dodge bullets coming at me. It's so easy to fix with righteousness and mercy. The solutions are easy if you have a mind, if you're not darkened by sin. You shut the borders down. You stop the bleeding and you shut them down now. You shut them down. Down. You go to the employers that are hiring illegals and here's mercy, here's compassion, here's Oprah. We understand the dilemma you're in. You have one year to get these people legal and through the process and in line or we're going to fine you. We're going to enforce the laws that are already here, not create anymore, but enforce the ones that are here. And guess what? The businesses will clean up and the people will become legal or they'll go back. It's just that simple. But oh no, that's too sane. That's too simple. And that is so insensitive. How mean-spirited. How long is it going to take for somebody in El Salvador to say, wait a minute, I don't have to move to America now. It has no borders. It has no language. It has no culture. All I need is a judge and let some stench from the bench now be awarded some civil right to somebody in a foreign country. Why can't they access all of our blessings? Why can't people outside our borders access all the blessings we have if people can illegally be within our borders and get all the blessings of being a citizen? There's a point where you're committing sabotage. Well, thank you. Now, why hadn't anybody else said this? Because you'll get killed. You'll be attacked. I'll have people in our body come against me now and say, we thought you were a compassionate, loving, caring person. And you're attacking these people. I'm not attacking anybody. I'm saying we have laws, and if you won't keep them getting in, what makes us think you'll keep them when you get in? It's not hard. But sin makes it hard. Unrighteousness makes it hard. The devil makes it hard. And the politicians are literally debating on how to let illegal people, aliens from a foreign country, elect our representative government now. They're scrambling in both parties to figure out how to let these people vote. We don't have the political courage to do what's right, say what's right. I know where they're coming from. I've already given my life up so you can't take it. I've got nothing to lose. It may cause half of you to quit our church. But I say these things truly in love. I say I'm not as a racist. See, I'll be accused of being a racist, a bigot. The bullets will fly. We won't dare air this nationally. It could, it could cripple us. There, there could be picketing around our church by the homosexuals, by illegal aliens... 
And the media would hail them. The media would go, whoa, look at these people in the injustice coming out of those four walls. Y'all have already checked out. Y'all were sitting there thinking, man, I thought I had to face my mom today. I had to face this guy first. <laughs> we better not fight physically. We better not let... There's nothing in my heart. None of that stuff I'm accused of, none of it's in my heart. But do I love my country? Yeah. Do I want to leave something for the next generation? Yeah. Am I willing to fight politically? Am I willing to fight emotionally? Am I willing to fight vocally? Am I willing to stand up for what's really right? Yeah, at least to a measure. Now, I'll probably cower out like the rest of you. I'll probably cow down like the whole Senate and most of the House of Representatives. As soon as I get attacked, as soon as the giants pop up in the land, I don't want to sound arrogant or boastful or make myself to look like some strong and courageous person. Took a lot of courage just to say it. Take a whole lot more to defend it. And I'll probably back out just like the rest of you. Because I don't want anybody to think I'm mean. I don't want anybody to think I'm a cruel person. I just want to be liked. I want to be accepted. I want to make sure I represent the kindness of God. So I led evil. I led unrighteousness. I led anything that opposes God's word, God's will, just steamroll me over in the name of some false peace or false security. Even if you disagree with what I've said, don't miss the principle of what I'm trying to say. I don't have a political agenda now. Nobody's going to listen to me. I'm not going to change anything. I'm trying to make a point that you better fight for your marriages or you're going to lose them. You better fight for your kids or you're going to lose them. And just coming to church ain't going to cut it. It ain't going to get her done. You're going to have to engage to save your marriages, your children, your jobs, and your country. Because you take them for granted and you'll lose all of them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. No, no, no. Thank you. You're being kind. Let's reach out. Man, if there's an illegal among us or around us, let's put our arm around them, love on them, share Jesus with them, and help them become an American citizen. That's what you do. I pray God simply open our ears, open our eyes.